What I love about Bel Air is something to offend everybody. That's just uh, marvelous. So, If you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to the book of Revelation and the 21st chapter. It's on page 259 in your pew Bible. As we come to God's Word and this morning as we are focusing on God's love for His city, and which was so beautifully, uh, this team, uh, Bob Lee and the drum, they are so talented it's dangerous. But to take a look at so often the simple things that God has called us to do. You know John is on the island of Patmos and he is getting snapshots of the future in imagery. And he sees this picture and in the 21st chapter in verses 1 through 5, together as God's people, let's read this aloud. And as you read, listen carefully. You're reading God's Word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be His peoples, and God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this. For these words are trustworthy and true. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Shall we prepare our heart for the proclamation by the ministry of prayer? Let's pray. In the name of the Father, to the sole glory of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit himself we would ask. Amen. Do you think that God likes different cities more than others? What do you think when God this morning, as he looks down on this planet, do you think he's attracted to certain cities and repelled by others? Well, you know, as we are gathered together and we're looking at what God has called us to do, last week we saw a wonderful passage that Gottfried told about going into all the world the week before, as we celebrated worldwide communion, and I shared about how God loves this mess of the world. Next week, we're going to be looking at particularly what I believe God is calling Bel Air to do. So you want to be here for that. But this morning, we take a question of cities. And you know, it's very true that we so easily make all these differences among us. It's amazing when it comes to resources, how we come together. But it's remarkable how apart we stay. It's the old joke, remember, of the gentleman who called up the church and said, is the pastor there? And he answered, he said, yes. And he said, would you do a funeral for my dog? And he said, ah, I'm sorry, uh, we don't do funerals for dogs. We care for you in this law right now and this sorrow you have, but we don't do funerals. He said, well, what do I do with this $10,000 honorarium? The pastor said, well, you didn't tell me it was a Presbyterian dog. <laughs> and, you know, very often it's remarkable, isn't it, what does bring us together? I would like real briefly this morning to put before you, I believe, three propositions from Scripture. Proposition one is that cities themselves are a part of God's creation. 
It's not the result of the fall that we're in cities. It was always in God's heart. Second of all, Christ looks at the church in every city as one. Those that truly belong to Him, no matter how the different expressions are. And the third proposition, that Bel Air has a unique part to play in the body in L.A., and God is calling us to do it. Remember, one of my dreams, when you think of Salt Lake, you think of Mormons. When you think of Rome, you think of Catholics. When you think of Mecca, you think of Muslims. It is my dream and our work together that when people think of Los Angeles, they think of Christians. Amen? And, you know, we cannot do this on our own. We need to be working with our brothers and sisters. And it is so effective and powerful when churches do that. You know, Proposition 1. Cities are a part of God's creation. We don't have the time this morning to take a look at From the very beginning, in the early chapters of Genesis, there were cities. In fact, Cain, who murdered his brother, if you look in Genesis 4 in the 17th verse, it says that Cain was building a city. God always intended that we should live life together to share them. And though he had planted the garden, we do not know what it would have been if sin had not entered the world by Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. But God calls us to live together, and cities are there. Now, I'm not talking about crowds and crime and pollution and all the loneliness. That's the result of the fall. But God has called us to live together. In fact, in Genesis 11, remember before the flood or after the flood, the Tower of Babel? That God looked down and he said they are coming together. There was such power and unity, but without God, God confused their languages. If you don't think God knows there is genetic power in people coming together. Christ knows that about his church, even in the future. Not only were cities in the past, but eschatology, the 50-cent word for future things. Protology is the study of first things. And as you look into the future, what comes down from heaven? Not the Garden of Eden, but what? The new Jerusalem. God is going to have us living together. And in this beautiful imagery of, of this picture of the new Jerusalem, the most precious things that we have are just road packed there. Do you know why diamonds aren't mentioned? They weren't really on the market in the first century. They weren't discovered yet. The most precious of all commodities at that time was a pearl. That's why there are single pearl gates. And the gold is so pure, it's clear. It's saying that what is the most valuable here is just road packed there. But we're called to live life together. Jesus evaluates cities. In fact, uh, we got to take a look at this one. Turn with me over to Matthew in the 11th chapter. As Jesus is, it's on page 11 in your pew Bible, in the New Testament numbering there. And as you take a look in the 11th chapter, in the 20th verse, Jesus all of a sudden launches into hammering some cities not the people the cities verse 20 and then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his deeds of power had been done because they did not repent woe to you to Chorazin woe to you Bethsaida for if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes but I tell you on the day of judgment it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sodom than for you and you Capernaum you want to be exalted to heaven? You are brought down to Hades. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. 
And I tell you on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than for you. Whoa. Who put a bird under the rabbi's cap there? What is... Why did he get angry? Because Christ, the great lover, knows that cities have an organic unity to themselves. Do you know that a year ago, I would not stand before the Lord and give any account for the city of Los Angeles. I would have for the city of Denver. Do you know that when you stand before the Lord and they call the Christians to talk about Denver, you can sit down and rest. But when God says, let's talk about Los Angeles, we better have done our homework. I believe that God calls us. He looks at this city and his Christian body as a part of it. Proposition one, cities always were a part of the creation of God and we need to be salt and light. Proposition two, Christ looks at his church in each city as one. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, page 174 in your pew Bible. Now this famous analogy, which the world hijacked, if you're a member of a country club or a member of a political party, that term doesn't work. The Greek word melee, really it means organ. And Jesus' body, Paul says, is like your physical body. And in the 12th chapter, in verse 12, let's read verses 12 and 13 together out loud. And we're reading from the new RSV because that's what's in the pews. If you have another version, just hum a mighty fortress is our God in the background. But let's read this together. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. And then look at verse 14. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And he goes on to say that the foot can't say, I don't belong because I'm just a foot, and the hand can't say, I'm just a hand or the eye. And we can't say to each other, well, you're an ear, or you're a pancreas, or you're a heart. I think that applies to Bel Air. I think it also applies to the church in Los Angeles. When Jesus says to the seven churches in Revelation, to the church at Smyrna, to the church at Pergamum, to the church at Ephesus, do you know that Ephesus was the third largest city of the Roman Empire? It was huge. I guarantee you the church met in more than one place. But he says to the church in Ephesus and to the church in Los Angeles, I believe that Christ looks at us as one, is why we need each other. I mean, in that wonderful skit, as they were acting out, that of course we've got differences. And I'm not talking about blending theologies where we all come together, like I say, and do a group hug around the fire and sing Kumbaya. We have a lot of differences, but we have a unity in Christ and working together. And Satan's greatest tactic is to keep us apart. I can share uh, with the nine o'clock hour. If I were biting my fingernails right now because I was nervous, you might say, well, that's really gross, but it's understandable. If I had clipped my fingernails last week and put them in a little bag and I took them out when I was nervous and started to chew them... Oh, what's the difference? Anything that is removed from the body is vulgar. 
If you find a hair in your hamburger, it might have more protein than that burger, except in and out. They never have hair. I want to say that right away. Uh, I just realized my analogy. I'll change that for the next hour. But uh, why, why does that gross you out so much? Because whatever leaves the body becomes vulgar. We're going to leave the analogies there. Now, do you think... You know that reaction of I said when if I took off a fingernail later and chewed on it? I believe God Almighty has the same reaction when He sees Christians that are not a part of His body. I believe in the very heart and the stomach of God. Christians who think they can just be a Christian in their own life and not belong to His body, I believe it is a terrible reaction from God. My wife Carolyn is an occupational therapist working with those that have severed limbs and lost them very often some of the trauma. When you look at an arm that has been severed, even if they can successfully surgically put it back, the person emotionally can't accept that as his body anymore because he or she saw it removed. And you know, you can only have it off for so long. I think there's some people right now that, yeah, that we attend Bel Air, but until we become a part of the body, and until Bel Air becomes a part of the body of L.A., there's a window of opportunity that passes. So that I believe, Proposition 2, that this great need for connecting tissue, we need each other. We need, and how do we need each other and work together in the last proposition, is that Bel Air has a unique part designed by God that nobody else can fill. We're not called to do what our brothers and sisters in the Presbytery are doing. We're called to work with them. We're not called to be doing what our brothers and sisters downtown are doing. We're called to work with them and they with us. And I want to tell you one of the most enriching things in my life has been as I have made friends with other pastors, with incredible sisters and brothers in more of an urban setting. You know, the challenge downtown is brokenness. The challenge in suburbia is emptiness. And by the way, if suicide is a barometer of despair, we kill ourselves in the suburbs three times as much as downtown. Downtown, we shoot each other. In the suburbs, we shoot ourselves. So the question is, do we need each other? You bet. It's going to take the whole church to reach the whole city. None of us can do it alone. How do you do that? Well, this way, by getting to know each other. Sometimes there's congenial relationships where we just hang together because we like each other and it's kind of fun. You know, uh, downtown, we go downtown as we share joint worship services and they teach us to clap on the upbeat, you know? And we... And when they're... Yes. Uh, and when we teach them to come out here and fold their hands and shut up, you know? <laughs> Of course we need each other in different ways. Well, there's going to be cooperative relationships. That's where we share resources. All these people out here and the wonderful offerings doing. But I want to tell you where the power is, where the juice is, is when we have connecting relationships. This takes diligence because Satan lives in terror of it. And when we do it, I can tell you it will change your life. Christ called us. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Can I tell you something? You have never been attacked by a gate. That's a defensive fortress. This isn't supposed to be Fortress Bel Air. We're supposed to be out there taking it to the city. 
We are behind enemy lines. Just as we pray for our troops and a quick end to the hostilities in Afghanistan and that God would bring justice. It's not a massive invasion. It's a hit and run operation. And God has called us, I believe, same ways. This is Satan's headquarters. The world belongs to God. But we are behind enemy lines. And where there is a bridge of hatred, we're called to take it. Where there is bigotry and prejudice, we are called to step in. Where there's despair, we're called to come and take that. Come back together and resource, yes. But then we don't live on this aircraft carrier. We're told to get back out there. I can tell you in my own life, this is such power. One of these little kids coming up here, if they would have been younger, I promise you, if you offered a toddler an ice cream cone or a check for a half a million dollars to buy the whole stinking shop, you know which one they'll take. Silly children. And God says to you, you can chase after the trinkets of this world and the applause of the crowd and getting high and jumping in the sack with somebody you're not married to. And you can live your life for that or I can offer you the kingdom. That's what he offers. I can give you a friend from another culture who when you are in your deathbed will be there. I can give you a relationship with a young life that after you have long forgotten will write you a letter and say, you changed my life. I can give you a friendship and an enrichment that you've never had. But you've got to come along. When my brother Tim, who also interned here and as many of you know, the ministry is brutal. I saw it take my father out as he left the ministry and left with the church secretary. He did come back to the Lord, and we made peace before his death. And I know that, and I pray for my pastors and for me. You do likewise. And Tim, as a minister, had all sorts of problems and traumas, and likewise in his two handicapped children, and he was hit by a train, and his leg was amputated. And I think a combination of the pain medication and not living up to the standard of the church the closest person in my life outside of my wife, Carolyn, committed suicide. I can remember at his funeral, as life would have it, when I had come from Detroit back to Denver, and many people were all excited, and others were mad because I had left and come back, and nobody would really come to the funeral except a few friends. After the funeral, at the end of the service, I didn't know, as I said a prayer, I turned around, and there were 10 African-American pastors. I barely knew. They were there. They said, we've got you covered. One of them, I'll never forget Leon, he picked me up and he hugged me and he's so big and I was, my legs were kicking in the air, but <laughs> he said, we don't just have your backside. We have your heart. Bel Air, you didn't call me to come out here and do status quo. Bel Air, I didn't leave what I left to come out here and play church land. I think I might be addressing a church that has more talent, more creativity more steadfast lovers than any church I have ever been. 
Or I could be one of those tragic churches that were almost, had all the potential. I don't think so. I think God's going to do great things with us. Do you see how God looks at this city? Do you see that we need to be in every nook and cranny and back street that is out there? That's why you got to get plugged in. We don't care who's on a bunch of lists on the names of membership. It's all a process of coming together. And there are churches out there right now in the Presbytery, which we already have a relationship, as well as others. And they're going to be base camps, and they're going to get this wonderful vision. And together, we're going to give this city heaven. It's already God hell. We're going to give it heaven. <laughs> Amen? We can't do everything. God doesn't want us to do everything. He wants us to do our part. Our little part in the valley, our little part on the west side, our taking hands. And I looked and I saw a new world and a new earth, for the former earth had passed away. And I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven as a bride adorned, and the sea was no more. And he will wipe away all of their tears. And there shall be no more pain or death or sorrow or mourning And he who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Let's let him start with us. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as we respond to the proclamation of your word, we quietly come and we say, Oh God, look us over. Father, I thank you for the 45 years of faithful ministry that have gone on here, Lord. I thank you for the heart for our brothers and sisters in the city and all the things they have to teach us so much and the few things we can share with them. God, you love your church in this city, and I pray, Lord, you would continue to build it, and the gates of hell will not stop. Lord, I pray that right now, if there's anybody that doesn't know you and they want to have this peace and to be a part of this greatest of all adventures that will last into eternity, if you've never given your heart to the Lord and you've been aware of another voice that's been tugging besides mine, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and opens the door, I will enter in with them and live with them and they with me. You just need to say, Christ, I believe you shed your blood on that cross for me. And I don't understand it all, but I want to let go of the helm, Lord, and invite you in. I take all I know of me and I give it to all I know of you. Come, Lord, and live in me. And he'll begin right now, that relationship. Thank you, Christ. Thank you, Lord. We thank you that the time for serving you is right now. And we pray that that would be upon our heart this week and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen.